the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. With the threat of a regional European approach to shipping's decarbonisation dilemma, now a tangible reality rather than a conceptual threat, the industry is once again left questioning whether their preferred global approach to reducing CO2 is progressing with sufficient pace. We've seen a flurry of positioning papers, programmes and announcements in recent weeks, and there's more to come. But one of the most interesting additions to the debate emerged this week from Trafigura, one of the biggest cargo interests in the world and a sizable investor in ships over the course of the last century. Trafigura's solution is a global carbon levy, which ship owners could pass on to charters. The intention being that the increase in operational costs would spur charterers to change behaviour to reduce emissions, charter more efficient ships and switch to lower carbon fuels. Now, this isn't a new idea, but the fact that Trafigura has proposed it and it's a $250 to $300 per tonne of carbon output price tag, well, that's an interesting development. This apparently is a level needed to close the competitive gap between carbon intensive fuels and low or zero carbon alternatives. Joining me on the podcast this week to discuss the proposal and the drastic measures he thinks are needed to speed up the decarbonisation of shipping, I'm delighted to say I have Trafigura's head, uh, global head of fuel decarbonisation, uh, Mr. Rasmus Back Nielsen. Welcome to the podcast, Rasmus. Thank you very much, Richard. So let's start with the basics. I mean, you are a major charterer and you are effectively saying that you are willing to increase the cost of your chartering activity in order to create a greener supply chain. Do you genuinely believe that uh, your fellow charterers are going to be willing to follow suit and and pay for decarbonisation in this way? We think that as long as it can happen on an equal level playing field, which is also uh, a necessity from our side, then we believe it can get widespread support. Uh, all the significant charters, all charters are facing the same challenge and uh, also dilemma. Uh, the challenge is how to significantly uh, reduce emissions. And the dilemma lies in the fact today, will you go and charter a fuel efficient ship versus a less fuel efficient ships? Uh, the, in the oil trading space, historically, oil trading margins has been say one to two percent and and there's really hardly any margin to go and subsidize and decarbonize and and charter more friendly ships uh, when the competition isn't doing it so what we believe is required is that the whole industry gets together uh, the regulators gets together and then we get introduced a, a a levy where everybody is 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 on the same page uh, and competing on equal terms Mm. And, when everyone, and when everyone competes on equal terms, then it has a very good chance, in our view, to get widespread support. Okay. And, I mean, talk us through the basics in terms of how you envisage this working. This is a fairly sizable uh, study you've produced, and it's, it's an interesting um, proposal. But for, for the benefit of the listeners, give, give us the basics in terms of how you envisage this working. Okay. Uh, in terms of the level, we, we have suggested that all fuels uh, get a specific CO2 profile attached. We are proposing uh, IMO to have uh, experts uh, to create this CO2 profile uh, index. Uh, we have drawn inspiration from the California low carbon fuel standards, uh, where there is a carbon intensity scores to each fuel. Uh, and then a CO benchmark, a CO2 benchmark, where 
uh, one gets rewarded uh, or penalized in accordance with that. Uh, recently, we have seen other states in the U.S. Uh, take up the, the low carbon uh, fuel standards, uh, and we believe that that's, that fuel uh, standard could, uh, in similar way, could be adopted into the shipping space. Uh, mm. So a CO2 so profile to each of the fuels uh, from well to propeller. We don't believe you can do it just from tank to propeller. We need full life cycle assessment in order to have a proper assessment. Uh, that will also uh, provide some insights on whether LNG is really in the future. Uh, to give an example, uh, one of the challenges there is uh, the methane slippage, which today is unaccounted for. Uh, as an example, methane on over a 20-year time horizon is 86 times more potent uh, than CO2, and over a 100-year lifetime, uh, it's 20 times more potent than CO2. So you need a full life cycle assessment on the fuels. Uh, so a CO2 profile to all of the fuels, um, then we suggest a uh, penalty for the fuels above the given benchmark and a subsidy for the fuels below the given benchmark. And, and, and the target and, and the objective is to incentivize uh, the use of lower zero carbon fuels so they can become competitive from day one. Uh, that's one element, and it's the, it's the primary element of our proposal. There are two other elements which takes a smaller part in our proposal. Uh, one, which is uh, originating from, from a very practical solution-orientated approach, uh, which is support to small island states. Uh, I, 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 saw in, in, uh, I saw myself uh, having sat in uh, at an IMO uh, meeting uh, last week, uh, last year, in November last year, IMO working group meeting, how the decision-making process works in, within the IMO. There's 174 member states, they all carry an equal vote. Uh, the challenge with the small island states, who we in our proposal support uh, are being funded and compensated for increased transportation costs, uh, they, the, the small island states are, are quite afraid uh, of these additional costs, and for that they would like to be compensated. So we have factored in a, a compensation to the small island states in order for this to have a higher probability to get through within the IMO. Uh, so that's one element, and, and that's really from seeing from experience and understanding the IMO decision-making process, how we can pro practically make it happen. Just so I can understand, uh, how is it that you expect this to go through the IMO? Are you, are you anticipating a government will raise it or an industry organization? How What's the process in terms of getting it on the, onto the books? It's a very good question. Um, we are working right now, uh, and of course, there's a lot of work that, that is, 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 has, has gone behind us. But the, I mean, the journey is only really beginning in terms of how we will engage with the various member states or organizations. We cannot say today with certainty who will bring our proposal forward. We, we have indications that there will be people who will like to bring it forward either in our format or in a somewhat slightly amended format, um, where we, of course, will be very open to discuss how we can participate. Uh, so we cannot say today exactly whether it will be a member state or a supporting organization that will bring, bring it forward, but we have indications that, that there's very strong attention and there's a very strong receipt of it so far. Mm. But clearly, it needs to be brought someone, brought forward by someone, uh, as traffic work cannot do it. Mm.
Just a, a small detail, but you mentioned that this is based, the levy is based on carbon intensity rather than um, absolute carbon emissions of fuels. What, explain that distinction to me. Why, why go for carbon intensity rather than absolute carbon emissions? You have to compare on a like-for-like -like basis uh, on energy intensity. Uh, so all fuels on a level basis, basically. Uh, there's different energy content uh, in the in the different fuels, so you 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 neutralize that proportion, and then that's why we we go on emission intensity, uh, and and that's the way we should it should be that's the way we view it should be assessed on. Okay, talk to me about the R and D element of the proposal. So we 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 included three elements, of which the primary one was the levy and the subsidy. Uh, uh, the second and the minor part of it was the support to the small island states. And then the third one was uh, the R&D levy, uh, which also goes in line with the IMO thinking uh, around uh, uh, a, a pool of funds that goes into R&D in order to enhance technology improvements uh, to be able to escalate uh, the decarbonization also with that knowledge. And Let's take a little step back and again look at the, um, uh, you know, the charters and the pressure that, you know, this is uh, being put forward amidst because, you know, this is not um, being proposed in isolation. We, I mentioned at the top of the podcast the, the pressure from the EU and uh, I'd appreciate your views on that. But we're also anticipating some details, I think, next week on a new cargo emissions reporting program. And this is going to be the first time that we're seeing a pretty significant cross-section of major charters committing to reporting on the climate alignment of their shipping emissions output. So I guess the question is, you know, do you think the tide is turning? Do you think the, the, the pressure is now actually coming from cargo interests like yourself rather than the regulator and the governments in terms of the pace of change? I think it will come together. Um, charters, we can start there. We are very large companies. We have significant credit lines. For Trafigura, we have $60 billion of credit lines, as an example. There's just a general stakeholder pressure to be able to run a long-term sustainable business. Uh, so charters will be under pressure from, from, from the stakeholders, and, and that combined with the pressure from regulators, that, that force together means that, that, that charters we view and, and will really have to get together and, and, and enforce uh, CO2 reporting from the ship owners. Also, the charters themselves and also traffic work, we also running fleets. Uh, so we also have responsibility in alignment with the ship owners. Mm. Um, the, a bit about the, 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 the coming uh, uh, announcements on, on, on charters' uh, intent to go together and, and, and require owners to report the emissions. Uh, it, it's really coming from, from a, a challenge the industry has, which is that, that emissions has not been uh, measured uh, well enough over time. And even today in Trafigura, and we introduced our voyage charter clause where we make it mandatory for owners to report on completion of voyages, we're still having issues with owners not providing data, uh, which is definitely not satisfying. Uh, but by bringing the industry together, we, we believe this force will, will make it a well uh, understood and accepted uh, must, uh, reporting must. 
uh, in order to for, for charters to have su- sufficient data to understand the scope two emissions. I mean, this essentially aligns the charters with the the Poseidon principles from the financiers. You know, the the, the pressure is coming from outside shipping in many respects. In that, you know, if this if this alignment of data and transparency of emissions is being forced by the ship owners' lenders, the ship owners' charterers, and ultimately the direction of travel from the regulators, then you know. There's not too many places the ship owner can move, but of course, you know, the ship owner is, is stuck there in the middle with very few pragmatic and practical choices to be making right now. We're talking about, uh, you know, operational shifts in terms of efficiency from here for the next few years in terms of 2030. But in terms of 2050 targets, there's no viable uh, zero carbon ship on the uh, on the blocks right now that uh, any of your uh, partners can go for. So. I mean, talk to me about the transition and how the levy fits in with that uh, series of difficult decisions, I guess, uh, in terms of what the ship owner can pragmatically do over the next 10 years. Okay, first, and of course, the most uh, obvious uh, way is efficiency measures on board the ships, uh, shaping the hull, propellers, newest docks, uh, there are various measures, route optimization. At certain at a certain point, these options becomes exhausted, uh, and then you can do no more. Uh, and and we of course embrace this totally. Uh, the challenge uh, the owners have, and we have as well as a big operator and a big o- operator of, of of a big fleet. As you reach this point, it's not enough to satisfy the stakeholders around your business and to satisfy yourself. Uh, also, very importantly, in terms of how you can continue to, to reduce your emissions, which, which is a must in, in our book. So, so the toolbox becomes empty at a certain point, and then you need to transition to the fuels of the future. Uh, of course, the big question mark is, how will those fuels uh, look like? Uh, we, have, we have given our view uh, in, in the document uh, uh, where we, we, we give an assessment of uh, what, what is the most CO2 or low carbon or zero carbon friendly fuels, which is the hydrogen based fuels. Uh, when you look on the full life cycle assessment, i.e. well to propeller. Um, but in order for the industry to, to arrive at a certain point where you can get mass implementation, you need to have regulators and you need to have the IMO and you need to have it before it gets implemented regionally across the world. Because if it gets implemented as a regional system, it becomes this very difficult question the whole time about who manages, how is it being structured? Can the charters make a behavioral change on regional regulation? Uh, it will all become very, very difficult to operate in. Mm. Uh, and the proposal from, from us here is really to try and make the most constructive proposal where we can see charters be forced to make a behavioral change. And, and that behavioral change will make the difference in our view. Mm. I mean, I take it from that that you are against the uh, the European approach. You know, we saw the European Parliament vote in favour of bringing shipping within the uh, emissions trading scheme. That obviously has a way to go in terms of getting through council and uh, the commission itself. But I mean, we've seen the European approach versus the IMO as being a sort of a driver, I guess, of the progress. But let's, I mean, let's look at the, the reality of how much money those things are raising. I think one of the uh, the, the green lobby groups, uh, T&E, Transport and Environment, believes that the European ETS would raise eight times more money for green projects than uh, any of the industry's bunker levy plans. And 
I mean, they were basing that calculation on, I think, $2 a tonne of uh, charge on fuel. Yours is slightly different, but either way, you are looking at a, a fairly significant gap between what the European proposal would raise and what a global levy would raise. Do you see an issue there? Number one, uh, we are embracing uh, aggressive environmental uh, implementation. So, so we're embracing that the EU is, is being very proactive on pushing this subject forward because it means it will push the industry to make its own decisions, ideally faster than the European Union, so they can factor that in when they make the decision, which I believe is uh, June next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, just about the EU, I mean, as you as you implied also, I mean, they have endorsed to bring a proposal forward uh, in the EU ETS scheme. Yeah, uh, So we're embracing it, number one. However, what we do not embrace is a regional measure because mm-hmm. it becomes very difficult to operate in. Uh, and, and this is why we, again, constructively is trying to bring in a global proposal, but also where the industry in itself takes charge of its own destiny. Because if you have various regional proposals, A, it becomes very difficult to operate in. It's not that we don't support the carbon uh, levy, because that is imminently clear. We do support that. But if you get uh, an, an Asian scheme, an American scheme, a European scheme, it will become incredibly difficult to manage. And then one may include a CO2 profiling, another may not. And then ultimately it will delay, and this is a key, it will delay the impl- implementation of lower zero carbon fuels. And why will it be delayed in such scenario? Because if you don't have clarity on regulation, uh, and if you have regional aspects which differ from each other, then the people who will go and engage in 10-year offtake contracts for the hydrogen-based fuels, and I say hydrogen-based because that's what we believe in, uh, well, it will be incredibly difficult if you have unclear uh, regulation around it because the 10-year offtake will be required in order for these renewable projects to to get going. And then you have the chicken and egg situation where, well, the ship owners, they will not buy the the, the methanol ships, green methanol ships, but the, the methanol engine is already there, or the green ammonia ships, if you don't have certainty on sourcing ability for the fuel. And that mm-hmm. be, then becomes a chicken next situation. So it, it's the full infrastructure that, that needs to come together quickly, uh, but and it needs to be controlled by regulatory forces. It is possible. This is the positive aspect. Uh, the EU uh, uh, process, of course, is, is, is escalated. It's ahead of anybody else. Uh, again, we embrace it. It's positive. Uh, but we do hope that the IMO can overtake and escalate uh, a carbon levy in a sense that EU then can consider what is happening within the IMO. Uh, it means, and this is interesting, it means that there needs to be a, a proposal brought forward for the MEPC meeting that takes place next year uh, in April, May. And there you need to have a member state or an organization uh, to, to formally f- submit a propos- proposal by March. And this is our target to have our considerations brought forward in a firm proposal to the IMO for the MEPC meeting next year. Yeah. But urgent action is really needed for the industry to take control of its own destiny. Well, this, this my, my final question is really your um, view of whether the industry has much agency in deciding its own fate at this stage, because it strikes me that 
with the pressure coming from the charters, the financiers, the regulators, um, there is very little agency left for the shipping industry to take that much of a proactive decision-making role in this. I mean, in terms of your partners, you know, the people you are chartering, I mean, how do you view the response of the industry right now? Are you are you seeing a sort of, uh, you know, a, a multi-tiered industry approach? Because, you know, this is, after all, a fairly fragmented sector where prices is, is everything. This is a thin margin business. Are you getting enough of a, a sense from your partners that the industry is moving sufficiently quickly or will decisions be taken for them ultimately? We need to make sure that it it, it has the pace it needs. Yeah. And and uh, I think that the pressure on, on, on our industries, our carbon industry, yeah, uh, which is oil trading, is transportation of oil, etc. Everyone is feeling the, the pressure and the heat uh, from banks, etc., from investors. From bondholders, uh, so there's no doubt that all organization has it very high on the radar, uh, and 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 times are changing. It's a very dynamic space. Uh, so in this dynamic space, we believe that things can come together much quicker than it would have been able to even six to twelve months ago. So that's number one. Number two, if you look at it from and, and we say fragmented, if you look at it from a ship owner's perspective. We look at the tanker market as an example in the last nine months. It has been a historical strong tanker market. Um, and companies have been printing money not since 2007, 2008, maybe even more compared to then. Uh, share prices have probably halved on average basis uh, in that same period. And, and then one has to ask, I mean, why? Uh, okay, now the spot markets are weak, but, but actually fundamentals for 21, 22, 23, subject to COVID, of course, are looking very healthy with a very healthy order book to fleet ratio, uh, very old fleet, and still share prices are more than halved. So I'm not, I'm not judging in full, but, but I'm implying that investors have gotten a little bit tired of our industry. So... I don't, and we don't think that that the industry can afford not to take responsibility. Uh, and this is why I think everybody is really aligned because we all want people around us to like what we are doing and to to have an investable project or product product. Uh, and for Trafigura, we want banks to keep financing us. I mean, and but if our infrastructure is is full of carbon. At a certain point, our banks will, will, will probably also start to say, well, you may run a healthy business, but it's full of carbon and, and, and then we will have to reassess. And again, that's what we proactively are trying to avoid. But the whole well, industry, sorry, yes, go ahead. But I mean, uh, not to put it too bluntly, but you are essentially saying here, if ship owners don't make the right decisions, then they are going to be shut out of this market ultimately. Over time. Where the industry needs to decarbonize. Uh, I cannot say how fast uh, banks will will sign out, but I think it's happening very fast. Uh, you can see the Poseidon principles, how fast they have gotten support uh, since it was first discussed at the Hong Kong GMF two years ago, um, the summit there. Uh, the charters now the, the, the are coming together uh, with mandatory CO2 emission reporting. Then, of course, the next step for the charters is what do you do with it? Yeah, uh, 
I have to go one step back, uh, and, 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 and that's also one of our frustrations. It's, well, our CO2, CO2 emissions on shipping is going up. Uh, so what, and what do you do? Yeah, and then, and it, it's just one step back, sorry, here in, in, in the talk, because the toolbox is not that big, in addition to, of course, the efficiency measures. And then I'll just divert a little bit into slow steaming, because that is in your toolbox, but then we should all do it, and we need that equal level playing field. And within the IMO, it has been debated uh, if slow steaming should be there. It wasn't taken up. Uh, we believe as well there should be a speed cap. Yeah. So mm -hmm. a tanker should not be able to go more than 13 knots. Uh, that's not implemented. Uh, it doesn't look to be on the discussion cards for the coming MEPC, unfortunately. Uh, but again, the challenge is for the charters and the ship owners, and here we are very much in the same boat. Uh, uh, the, the, the emissions will not go down sufficiently enough, uh, probably to satisfy our stakeholders' uh, requirement. Mm. So, so am I saying that ship owners uh, 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 will? I, I don't like the word die, but but I, I'm saying that that the industry really needs to to get together and then decarbonize sooner rather than later. Mm. That's a better way to put it. Yeah, I mean, just on that small point of, of speed and, and speed optimization, I mean, that is something that you as a charterer could directly control. You could unilaterally impose uh, speed restrictions in your charters. And it's a very, very good point. From our side, so far, what what the our view has been, it ha everything has to happen on an equal level playing field. Uh, we've been advocating, we've been signing uh, support for, for slow steaming. Um, the industry has not gotten together on this. It's something which we believe the industry should try and discuss together uh, in order to continue to have a, a level playing field. If the industry cannot get together, then Trafigura in itself also needs to make up make up needs to make up its view. Uh, will we reduce sailing knots by half a knot to proactively try and and, and mitigate CO2 impact through that? But then it would not be an, on, on an equal level playing field. And, and this diverts from the principles that, that so far has been the mantra uh, for traffic war, but we also believe for the banks and for the, our industry. Mm. Okay. Uh, wonderful. Um, Rasmus Buck nielsen from Traffic Euro, thank you very much for joining the Lois List podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Have a good day.